Welcome to the Cochrane Community Church Podcast. We're so happy that you're joining us, and we look forward to how Jesus will impact your life through this message. See, at Cochrane Community Church, our mission is simple. We want to share the love of Jesus so that our families, our community, the next generation, and the world will know Him as Savior. And this means that we strive to be a loving, Christ-centered community of believers. We just want to say thank you so much again for taking the time to tune into this episode. And at this time, please sit back and relax and enjoy this week's episode. Good morning. Ah, oh, you guys remembered. That makes me feel so special. Ah, oh, 2022 is here. And if you didn't know it, you felt it when you stepped outside this morning, right? It is cold out there. I hope you guys didn't have any summer plans because I hear ice ages last a long time. So um, we, we actually, we have friends in North Carolina that we have been, since we moved up here, we've been trying to convince them to like move up here too. And in December, it was like, they were texting us. They're like, it's like 55 degrees here still in December. And we were like, well, it's like 45 or 50 here. Like, I mean, you guys could totally move up here. And then January hit and we just like stopped texting them back. <laughs> like, we'll, we'll hit you up in the spring. Like, it's crazy. I, I was, um, did you guys see the weather? Like Southern Florida is supposed to be like 28 degrees. Like that will straight up cryogenically freeze a Floridian. Like they're like, they are not gonna, they're not gonna survive. Um, so it's cold. Hopefully you got moving a little bit though this morning, came in and got to stand up and move and clap. And, and um, I'm excited that you guys are here this morning. It's good to be here. Um, but we are, we are 30 days into 2022 um, who made resolutions? They might make a New Year's resolution. No one? Seriously? Was like, I made a resolution not to raise my hand in church. <laughs> no one made a resolution. Wow. Man, this totally kills my entire segue. I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, if you made a resolution and you're, you're keeping it great, um, if you know someone who, who made a resolution and says they're keeping it, um, next week's sermon will be on lying, so you can have them come to that. But um, So this is the last week of the series. We, uh, we're talking about this idea, what is Jesus doing? And this is the, uh, you know, I get to kind of speak on this last week of this series. Um, I got to actually speak on the last week of the last series also, of the Advent series, and now I'm getting to speak the last week of this series. And so if John asks me to speak the last week of the next series, I'm just going to assume he has commitment issues and work on that. But, um, but I want to just take a minute. I want to kind of recap the last three weeks real quick. And we're going to touch on one thing um, here at the beginning of this. And then we're going we're gonna to kind of move, move into a little bit of application that the author of Hebrews talks about. Um, but basically, over these few weeks, we've been talking about this idea. What is Jesus up to? What has he done? What is he doing? And we talked week one about how God reinstated communication with us through Jesus. That Jesus came to this earth, he died as the ultimate sacrifice, he took the sin of the world upon himself, and he did all this to restore a broken relationship with the Father, right? 
And this is important because in the Old Testament, you didn't just come before God. God didn't just communicate directly to you. I mean, if, if he did, if you were special enough to have that happen, you, let, you ended up in the Bible, right? Like that's how rare it was. And so Jesus came and he restored that broken relationship so God commu- could communicate with us. But not only that, we, on the other side of that, no longer need an earthly mediator to communicate with God. We don't need this high priest. Jesus has become that high priest. He is our mediator. And what that means is that when God looks at us, when he looks at his children, he no longer sees our unworthy position or our, un, our lack of righteousness. Instead, he sees the perfect righteousness of Jesus, right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't see the state of sin that we were in. He now sees us. We, we are now in a state of grace and we are justified because of what Jesus has done. And so because of that, we can come before the God of the universe with every honest thought and struggle and and anything that is on our hearts and we can come before him as we are. And so this whole plan getting into week three wasn't something that God just randomly put into action one day like, oh, I think I'll do this. This has been something that God has been planning for a long time. God has been making and fulfilling promises that have ultimately led to the birth of Jesus since clear back in in the days of Abraham. As a matter of fact, most scholars believe that there are over 300 prophecies, some people say over 500 prophecies, that have to do with the coming of Jesus, that Jesus fulfilled. And that's crazy. I mean, you're talking, you're talking prophecies written over four or 500 years or longer before Jesus came to this earth. I mean, just Jesus being born in Bethlehem, like something like you can't control where you're born, Right? Like that's something he could not control. I mean, if I could control where I would, if I could go back and control where I was born, I would have picked somewhere where they didn't use forceps and I wouldn't have a misshapen head now. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not bitter about it or anything, but that's, I mean, if I could have chosen, that's what I would have chosen differently. But you can't, you can't choose where you're born. I mean, there's like mathematicians that have done this stuff, probability on this, they say just that, just that one prophecy is like a one in 300,000 chance. And now add 300 or 400 or 500 more. It's, it's, it's insane. And, and so what does that mean? And I think it's this. Like if I, if I told you, if you come back to church next week, I'll give you $100. And you show up and I give you $100. And then I say, okay, if you show up next week, I'll give you $100. And you show up and I give you $100. And this continues every week, every week, every week. For 10 years, I give you $100 every week for showing up for church. And you come after 10 years and I say, if you show up next week, I'll give you $100. Like, what are you going to think? Other than this is a cult, which would probably be true. <laughs> You're going to think like, yeah, I'm coming back next week because he's giving me $100 every time. I mean, he keeps that promise. He made me that promise. He keeps it. He makes it. He keeps it. And so you can hope in the fact, you can anticipate that I will keep it again next time. And so God, in the same way, has always been faithful. He's always kept his promises all throughout eternity, all throughout our our history. And so we can trust, we can have hope that he will continue to do so. Hope for the present, hope for the future. So when God says he is with us, we hope in that. When God says he is bigger than anything we face, we hope in that. When God says Jesus is coming back for us, we hope in that. And that brings us to this final thing that, that Jesus is doing and, and that I want to hit on today. And, and that is that he is sitting at the right hand of God. Now, if you were paying attention week one, you saw that we already, we touched on this. Like this, John hit on this at the end of, of his sermon week one. And, and so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it. Um, 
But I do wanna take a quick look at Hebrews chapter 10 so you can see why we're revisiting it. So Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 through 14, says, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for one time, For all time, one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And skipping on to verse 18, says this, And and where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. And so... Week one, John hit on this idea of Jesus being at the right hand of God. He kind of talked about like Jesus is where he is because of what he's done. He came to this earth. He did what he was supposed to do now as like his reward. He's like, he's he's seated next to God. But it's more than just that. There's something symbolic in this. And we see it in these verses in the comparison that the author of Hebrews makes to the earthly priests, right? He says these priests, these earthly priests, day after day, they stand and they offer the same sacrifices, And those sacrifices change nothing. But Jesus came and offered one sacrifice and it changed everything. And now he sits at the right hand of God. He contrasts everything from the earthly priests to himself. And and basically what this is, is this is like Jesus' mic drop, right? Like this is Jesus saying, there is nothing else left. It is finished. It's finished. It's done. Nothing else is needed. It's not like Jesus plus anything, right? There's no rituals. There's no hoops to jump through. There's no dressing a certain way or cleaning up the junk in your life first. It's just Jesus finished work giving us access to a relationship with God and and, and to eternity in heaven. And so that is what Jesus is doing. That's what we've been talking about for these last like 3.2 weeks. I'm just guessing I'm like 20% done. So that's what we've been talking about for the last like three and, and, and a little bit of extra weeks. And so that, that's what we, you know, we've been covering this, but like, I gotta, I gotta think that the question that might be kind of floating around here is like, so what? Right? Like why, why does that like, what, what do I do with that? Like, how do I apply it? And I do want to talk about how we should respond to this. Like, that's where I'm going to go with, like, the second half of this is how we then respond with this knowledge. But before I do that, it's worth answering the question of why did the writer of Hebrews dedicate so much ink to what Jesus has, ha- has done and what he is doing? I mean, Hebrews might be one of the most theological books in all of Scripture. Why, why does it matter? Um, anyone, anyone recently married or like recently celebrated an anniversary? Okay. How many years? Nine. All right. Anybody else recently celebrated an anniversary or have one coming up? How many? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. We'll just go with that. 43. That's awesome. All right, awesome. So, but like we, we understand, those of you that are married understand the, the commitment that marriage is. And, and Ashley and I, like Ashley and I met when we were in like eighth grade and we started dating my, my freshman year of college, our freshman year of college. It took me four years 
little over four years to wear her down. Um, and, and so, you know, finally got, got her to settle. And so we dated through college. We got married right here in this church. Um, and we have been married for over 16 years. And I have spent, you know, we have spent years, all these years that we've known each other, getting to, to know each other better, learning about what, what each other likes and dislikes and, and learning like how to, how, to, how to live together and coexist and raise a family and do all these things. And, and I just, I, like, imagine with me for a second. Like, let's go back. We're going to rewind. I'm, I am single and I've never met Ashley. And, and one day, my, one, my friend Curtis calls me. Curtis isn't even in here. He didn't know I was going to use him in, his, in my sermon. He'll find out later. Um, my friend Curtis calls me. He's like, hey, man, I know this girl that I think would be perfect for you. All right, her name's Ashley. I think, like, she is exactly what you would be looking for. I think the two of you would hit it off. I think every, it'd be perfect. And so I think, man, I, well, I can trust Curtis. Like, he's always been a good friend. He's never let me down. So, so I'm going to, like, I'm going to reach out. And so inst- I call Ashley, and instead of saying, like, hey, you want to go on a date? You want to, like, Curtis said, well, you know, I just say, hey, Curtis said that we would be a good match. So, like, you want to just get married? And, and if, if that would have worked, I'd have tried it a long time ago. But... But I say that, and, and let's just pretend for a second that Ashley is crazy enough to just say, yeah, sure, let's do it. And so we, we say, oh, she's like, well, maybe, maybe, like, should we go on a date first? I'm like, nah, let's, like, June 10th, let's just meet here at the church at, like, 2.30. We'll knock it out. I'll bring the groomsmen, you bring the bridesmaids, it'll be good. And she's like, all right, all right. Well, so we come here on June 10th, and we show up, and we come down the aisle, and the, and the pastor's here, and he's, and he's doing the ceremony, and we get to the vows, and, and, like, he's like, all right, Dustin, do you have vows prepared? And I grab my paper, and I'm like, Becky. Wait, what? Ashley, I know we don't know each other that well. And I know that like I, don't, like, I don't even know what this commitment is that I'm doing right now. Like, no one really told me. I'm just here. But like, Curtis said that this was a good idea. So like, let's just do this thing. What do you think? And, she, and she's like, standing there. And she's like, all right, it's time my, my turn for the vows. Dustin, you better have lots of money. Um, but no, like she says the same thing and we're like, all right, we get married and 16 years pass, 16 years pass and Curtis comes by my house and he's like, hey man, how's marriage? How's Ashley doing? And I'm like, well, I mean, it's okay, I think. And he's like, what do you mean you think? Like, why, why don't you know? And it's like, well, I mean, we, we haven't really learned anything about each other in 16 years. Like we just, we just kind of do our own thing. Like you, but you said it was a good fit. So we just kind of ran with it. And it's just, we just kind of, like I basically just try to listen to everything she tells me to do and it kind of works. And the ladies in the room right now are going, yes. <laughs> can't, why can't my husband just do that? But can you imagine this scenario? Like, can you imagine, like what, like what, what, what would you, a person be thinking? Like who would commit to something like this that alters the very course of their lives, that requires sacrifice and effort, something that changes all of your priorities and wouldn't put the work of getting to know that person in before jumping into that. Wouldn't put in the work of growing closer to that person, of understanding them better. And yet every week, sanctuaries around the world fill up with Christians 
who claim to believe in Jesus and they say, well, my parents told me about Jesus or, or my Sunday school teacher or my youth pastor. I heard all these really great sermons and I was like, I mean, they're trustworthy people. I, I, I can believe what they tell me. And I, this Jesus thing kind of sounds like a good idea. And so, and so I'm gonna like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna sign up for this. I'm gonna enter this relationship. And so people claim to believe in this life altering, earth shaking truth and to this day, walking years and years and years saying that, they still know very little about the God they follow. Hebrews 6.1 says this, it says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. And so I think like that's what this is, this, is, this series Like these chapters in Hebrews, it's that knowledge of the nature of God and of the actions of Christ. And it's the theological implications of what Jesus is doing and what that makes possible for us. And so if any of what we have talked about hasn't made any sense, like hasn't made sense to you, you're not sure what what we've been discussing, like I would encourage you to dive into it more. Pick up a study on Hebrews Ask questions of people who have been doing this faith journey longer than you. I mean, do stick around for an 11 o'clock class. Like we are literally having classes during the second service that are called Growth Principles from the Bible, Theology 101, The Life of a Jesus Follower, and Following Jesus as a Family. It's, it's like someone decided that maybe like the knowledge of who Jesus is was important, Right? And, and so we need to know this stuff. It's not, like, this is admittedly not a sermon, like, these, this series isn't the kind of thing where it's like, we're going to talk about patience. And we're going to give you 15 ways to keep your patience. And you're like, cool, now I can go to work tomorrow and hopefully not kill anyone, right? Like, that's, it's not like the, the real practical application that you just pick it up and you do it. It's, it's this, it's heady, it's theological, it's understanding the nature of God, but we need to know it. Know what, we need to know what we believe. We need to have, have hope in that and know why we believe it. We need to know how to defend it. And so that's my, my little rant about, about why this information matters. But, but I also think that understanding what Jesus has done and understanding this hope that we have, that we, that we should, should be able to do something with it, right? What then should we do with this information? And so that's where I want to go. I want to just hit three things real quick. Um, I'll unpack them as much as I can. I don't have a lot of time, but we're going to try to get into them as quick as we can. Um, and the first one is hold on to freedom. Hold on to freedom. Because of this hope that we have, hold on to freedom. Hebrews 10 19 through 23 says this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Does anybody remember the first time you like didn't have a curfew? Like you had a curfew and then all of a sudden you didn't have a curfew? Anybody remember that? Like I know we're not all too old to remember that. Like come on. Like, you have to remember, like, that is like a monumental day, right? Like, you mean I can come home whenever I want? 
right? And I remember when I was like, when I graduated from high school, I no longer had a curfew and I went to college and I no longer had a curfew and I did my own thing. I didn't report to anybody. And then after three semesters of college, I transferred to another school that had a 10 p.m. curfew for freshmen and transfers. And so now I have to check in at my dorm at 10 p.m. to let a freshman working behind the desk know that I'm safe. My parents don't even know where I am. But this kid does. And I hated that. And why did I hate that? For the same reason any of us would hate it. No one likes to have their freedom taken away after it's been granted to them. Right? And this is just curfew, right? Like, this is just curfew. Imagine being an actual slave, like waking up every day when someone tells you to, eating when they tell you to, working all day. Like, your life is not your own. And then imagine one day you are freed from that. You now make your own choices. You now make your own life. And after experiencing all of that, how many would volunteer to go back to slavery? Like no one, of course not, right? Like that's absurd. And yet the writer of Hebrews in these verses pleads with his audience to have full assurance in their faith and to hold unswervingly to the hope they profess. Why? It's because in Hebrews 1, the author tells us that his audience is immature in their faith. And later on in chapter 10, toward the end of chapter 10, we see that these people have faced persecution and that more persecution is probably coming. And so the author is afraid that these, that these people that he's speaking to, that God's people may be tempted to give up the freedoms that they have found in Jesus to avoid further mistreatment, further persecution. And that might sound a little different than the world we live in, but for us, those same temptations exist. Temptations to seek freedom in other things, like financial security, or relationships, or performance, or prosperity, or, or promotions, or whatever it is like we, that we think will satisfy, only to find those things actually enslave us. They become idols that never leave us satisfied. And maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you're like, I don't, I don't, like, I don't get caught up too much in that. But I think that there's, there's any, like, there are so many things that can grab us. Like, it's not just the things the world tells us are important. Sometimes the thing that enslaves us is our unwillingness to just accept the work of Christ as enough. And it's that desire that's deep down inside of me to prove that I am worthy, to, to somehow earn God's approval. Timothy Keller says, works righteousness always creates idols. It's simply that the false saviors it produces, church attendance, ministry to others, Bible reading, are things we would not normally think of as idols. If anything, the idolatry and slavery of religion is more dangerous than the idolatry and slavery of irreligion because it is less obvious. The irreligious person knows he is far away from God. The religious person does not. And so if anything, like anything other than Jesus is a requirement for being worthy to come before God, a prerequisite for drawing near to him, if anything other than Jesus is something we hope in, that thing will become our slave master. And so I, I, my challenge is, is the same thing the author of Hebrews says, hold unswervingly to the hope you profess for he who promised is faithful. Number two, 
The second thing that we should do in response to this is grow in community. Grow in community. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. I mean, these verses are right after we finish learning about who Jesus is. It's like, okay, therefore, now that you know all this stuff, go do this. And verses 24 and 25 say, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And community's hard, right? Like, America is like the most individualistic country in the world. We struggle to have real authentic community. And there are so many things that keep us from that, right? Like we're too busy. We're too busy. I'm just so busy. And like sometimes we wear that as like a badge of honor, don't we? Like if I'm busy, I'm important, right? And so we're like, oh, how you doing? Oh man, I'm busy, right? Or we undervalue differences. We're like, well, that person's not like me. So that's uncomfortable. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to do that. Or we like stay at a superficial level too long. Like we keep people at an arm's reach for so long that by the time we're willing to let them in, we're like, well, now they have this perception of me. And if I tell them who I really am, they may not like me anymore. And and we all do this. I mean, it's like, you ever have a, remember when your kids were in diapers and you're trying to potty train them and they didn't want to do like they, they kept doing their business in their diaper. They didn't want to like go do it on the, on the toilet like you wanted them to. Like, what do they start doing? They start hiding, right? They go and hide. And then they come back and they're like, mom, I need changed. I don't know what happened. Like, like they act like they're clueless. And, and it's like, dude, like kid, every day, this is gonna, you're gonna like, you're gonna poop every day, right? Like you're not fooling anybody. And like when we do this thing with people, it's like the adult version of that. Like we all have stuff in our lives that stinks and we know it. And we know the person next to us knows it. And we know the person next to them knows it. And I know that that person has stuff that stinks and they know I know it and we all know it. But we don't say it out loud, right? Like we don't wanna actually admit it. And so we keep people at a distance. Or, or we're self-sufficient, right? Like we're, we're control junkies. If I do it myself, I know it gets done and it gets done right. And if I have to trust other people and involve other people, I don't know if it will because the only person I trust is me. But after 10 chapters of theology, after telling us who Jesus is, what he has done, what, is he, what he is doing, of all the things the writer of Hebrews could have challenged us to do, one of the main things that he decides to emphasize, to focus on, is to be a community that loves, grows, meets together, and encourages one another. And inevitably, whenever you talk about this, whenever you talk about community and how important it is, someone will say, well, I can still be a Christian and not be in community, right? Like, I can be a Christian and not, not come to church, not be involved in anything. Like, I can just kind of do it myself. Like, it's, I can do it, right? And to that, I would say, yes, yes, you can You can also shoot a charging bear with a paintball gun. Be my guest. I don't don't like your odds, right? Like, I mean, you're doing something that's probably not going to be effective, that's probably not going to have the result that you desired to have because a paintball gun wasn't intended for a charging bear, right? And and just like that, community, the, the, the Christian life was not meant to be lived alone. It was meant to be lived in community. And communities, how we continue to grow, how we thrive in this world following Jesus. And so yes, that small group, 
that Bible study, that investing in that relationship. I mean, sometimes it's like, man, that can just, that feels like one more thing, right? Like just one more thing. I don't have time. It's just one more thing. It's just one more thing. And I, I don't think God is asking you to do one more thing. I think what God is asking is, do you trust me? And not just with that part of your time, but do you trust me with all of it? So because of what Christ has done for us, be a community that experiences God, encourages one another, and enriches the lives of others. And the last one is run to the finish. Run to the finish. So we get through Hebrews 10, we have Hebrews 11, which is the faith chapter text about all these giants of the faith. And then Hebrews 12 jumps in with this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Any runners out there? Anybody like a runner? Like really a runner? People are pointing at other people. That's because like no one admits that kind of stuff, right? Like you gotta be a little bit crazy to be a runner, right? Like I used to run with my college roommate a lot and I ran, but I never was a runner. Right? Like to be a runner, you have to like enjoy it. Every time I came home from a run, Ashley would be like, Well, how was your run? I was like, Terrible. Every time, 100% of the time. Like she didn't even ask anymore because it was just all, it's always terrible. To be a runner, you have to like enjoy it. And, and, and you, you kind of have to have, I don't know, something like a certain way that your brain works to be a runner. I'm telling you, it's crazy. And they say the Christian life is like a marathon, right? You've heard this before. And if you're running a marathon, though, you train for it, right? You train for it, not just when you feel like it, and not just when the temperature is 65 and sunny. And if you're waiting for that, you'll never get it here. (laughs) It just won't happen. But you train, you get up, and you run, and you get up the next day, and you run, and you get up the next day, and you run, and you fight off the aching legs, and you fight off your mind telling you to stop, and you run, and you run. And if you're a Christian in the room this morning, you are wearing running shoes, And so we need to run to the finish. And so how do we do that? Three ways. Number one, we train. We train. If I told you in one year we were going to meet back here and we were going to run somewhere between 1 and 26.2 miles, how many miles are you going to train for? (laughs) The runner in the room, 24. (laughs) That's, That's what my little app tells me. But you're going to train, like you're going to train for the capability of running the full race, Right? Like, no one's going to train for one. Maybe you'd train for one and just hope. Like, I mean, this has got to be a trick. Like, it's only going to be one, right? But no, you'd train for the 26, right? Because God, like, I mean, like, you, you would want to make sure that you were prepared no matter what happened. And, and in our lives, God tells us that you will be tempted, that you will face trials, that you will have hardships. And somewhere along the way, our bodies are going to tell us to stop. Our minds are going to tell us it's not worth it. Other people are going to tell you to give up. And runners don't just wake up one morning and decide to run 26.2 miles. And so we train. And we study what Jesus has done and what he is doing. And we learn about the nature of God and what he is like. 
And we remind ourselves of his promises and we pray and we serve and we run harder and train to run harder tomorrow than what we ran today. The second way we do this is we keep our eyes on the prize, right? We keep our eyes on the prize. If I started this race next year and I told you, if you make it 26.2 miles, I'll give you 10 bucks. I mean, you trained all year, so you're going to run anyway, but that 10 bucks isn't doing it for you, right? Like you get 20 miles in and your legs are jello and your mind is like, uh-uh, that $10 is not carrying you that last six miles, right? But if you get 20 miles in and you're like, I am done. And I say, I'll tell you what, you finish now, I'll give you a hundred grand. You're gonna be like, shut up legs, you're fine. You're like, you're gonna go that last 6.2 miles. Like there's nothing that's gonna stop because now the prize is worth the extra pain, the worth the extra time, worth whatever it takes to get there. And our prize is eternity in heaven with the God who loves us. And the things of this earth, they feel so immediate. They feel so important and heaven feels so far away, but it's close. And the things of this earth need to feel small in light of eternity. And so we keep our eyes on the prize. And the last thing that we do is we run the last point to. Run the last point to. A marathon's 26.2 miles. If you run 26 miles, and you stop, you haven't finished. No one's going to clap for you. No one's going to give you a prize. You can't put that little 26.2 window cling on the back of your small SUV. Like, you, you don't get credit for it. And at the risk of stepping on some toes this morning, I think there's a point. Actually, let me re-say that. There is no point in which we get to stop growing. We get to stop discipling. We get to stop serving. It doesn't exist. And so maybe you've served a long time and you feel like you deserve a break. We're on the last point too. Or maybe you feel like, man, you do more than the person next to you. Like I do so much in this church and everybody else just goes home after they sit here on Sunday. Someone else should do something for one. Run the last point too. Or maybe you feel like you've been faithful all your life and you just, you want to take it easy in your later years. And and to you, I would say, don't just run the last point too, man, dead sprint those things. Because any runner will tell you like, they don't want to have anything left in the tank at the end of a race, right? When they see that finish line, they are leaving everything that they've got out there. They are going to burn every last piece of energy. They are sprinting to the finish. A runner always gives everything he has left at the end. And so when I want advice on running, I will go to someone who's an experienced runner. And when I want advice on my faith, I want it from people who are actively living it for their entire lives, running the last point to. And there are people you see every week, co-workers and peers and friends and family, and they need runners in their lives. They deserve runners in their lives. Author Jenny Allen in her book, Anything, I 
think I like, I literally choke up every time I see this. Um, she says, I want to get to heaven out of breath. And I think about, man, is that like, is that me? Cause that's what I want. Like, that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. Like, is there any greater goal in life? Run the last point to. And so as we wrap up this series this morning, that's it. Like, that's my challenge for you. In light of what Jesus has done, and in light of what he continues to do, hold on to freedom, grow in community, run to the finish. Let's pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for showing up every week and meeting us here. God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for what you continue to do. Jesus, thank you for all, all that you've given us, God. Thank you that it is finished and that you are enough. Help us to hold on to that. Help us to share it and experience it with those around us and help us to run to the finish. God, we thank you that we can know with, with all of our heart that your wounds, that the sacrifice that you made, it's paid our ransom. It's enough. Jesus' name. We hope you found this week's episode relevant and encouraging. We just want to say thanks so much for taking time to listen. And if you'd like, please feel free to share it with a family member or a friend. We would really appreciate it. If you'd like more information about Cochrane Community Church, go online and visit ccubchurch.org. Well, that's all the time we have this week, but we would love for you to join us back here next week as we continue to see what it looks like to live a countercultural lifestyle for God. And from all of us here at Cochrane Community Church, we just want to say that we pray that God blesses your faithfulness. We'll see you back here next week.